You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His Gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Father, thank you for sending your Son and Spirit to save a fallen people. Send us out in the Spirit's power to proclaim the gospel of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope that over the last six weeks, you guys have seen the glory of the Trinity. That it's not just some esoteric, narrow academic debate with zero impact on our lives. No, the Trinity really matters. The Trinity changes everything. The Trinity upholds everything. And as we've dived into the deep things of God, I wonder, have you realized that in every sermon, with every connection, at every turn, the Trinity is all about love. The one God exists as three persons in eternal, selfless love. Do you remember? God loved us not because he needed us. He loved us because he loved us. That The gospel is the story of the Father choosing us in love, the Son saving us in love, and the Spirit sealing us in that love forever. The Trinity is all about love. Here's an interesting thought. At least I find it interesting. Do you realize that there is actually no grace within the Trinity? There's actually no mercy within the Trinity. Because where there is no sin, there is no need of grace or mercy. No, within the Trinity, there is only unfiltered, pure and perfect love. The Trinity isn't simply defined by love. No, the Trinity itself is love. Love is defined by the Trinity. Love is not God, but God is love. If you're not a Christian and you're looking for true love, can I say you've come exactly to the right place? It's not just because we've got a lot of eligible people at Cross and Crown, but it's because the source of all love is God himself. And if you know this God, you will know his love. And for all of us believers, as we conclude our series today, I want us to see how the Trinity radically changes our lives how it gives us purpose, how it tells us the reason for which we live, how the Trinity energizes our mission in the world today. For years now, since I was doing youth ministry, people always ask the same question. What's God's will for my life? What should I do with this life that is given me? Well, here's the answer. God is sending you and me to bring the nations into his love. God is sending us out to bring the nations into his love. So like any classic sermon, three parts today. Number one, a God of mission. Number two, a people on mission. And number three, the goal of mission. Part one, the God of mission. You know, one of the greatest distortions of love is a love turned inward. A love turned inward. I want you to imagine for a moment... A man and a woman, they meet, and instantly they fall in love. Every moment of every day, they're just thinking of each other. And as they stare into each other's eyes, 
as they're lost in each other's gaze, everything and everyone around them fades into the background. The time that they would otherwise spend with family, with church, with friends, no, it all gives way to time alone together. And no, no, it doesn't count to spend time together with a larger group. No, the only time that counts is when there's no one, nothing else, but each other. Something quite romantic about that, isn't there? And yet there's also something quite toxic about it as well. Because that love exists for itself. It's closed off from anyone and anything else. The man and the woman, no, they want each other all to themselves. They're not willing to share that love, to extend that love to others, to be blunt at its worst. It's a love that is selfish, self-serving, self-indulgent. So when they say, I love you, they really mean, I own you. It is a love turned inward. Now, if you think about it, of all people, God himself had every reason to not include us in his love. Do you remember? The Father loved the Son, the Son loved the Father, and the Spirit bound that love together from eternity past. John chapter 5, verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing. Colossians 1. God has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. You see that love? The love within God, it was eternally satisfied. It was eternally content. God did not need us. God does not need us. And yet, and yet, if that love is truly pure and perfect, there's a sense in which creation and redemption of humanity, that creation and redemption, it was inevitable. For while God did not need our love, his love sought us out. His love sought out another to love. You see, friends, true love is a love turned outward. And in love, God turned outward towards you and me. The love within God motivated the Father to send the Son and the Spirit to save a fallen humanity. We see this dynamic at play in John 17, 23. This is when Jesus prays to the Father. This is what he says. I want you to hear it. I am in them, and you are in me, so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Did you catch that? Let me step you through the logic. The Father loved the Son. So the Father sent the Son. So the Son might save his people, so that the Father might love his people. Let me say that one more time. The Father loved the Son, so the Father sent the Son. So the Son might save his people, so the Father might love that people. Man, it's a different vision of love, isn't it? For so many of us, love motivates us to stay. But for God, love motivated him to send. Our love turns us inward. God's love 
turns him outward. Track with me here in John 17. Jesus mentions that the Father sent him not once, not twice, but six different times. Here we go, verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Verse 8, they have believed that you sent me. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. Verse 21, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. Again, verse 23, I am in them and you are in me, so that they may be made completely one. That the world may know that, here it is, you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And sixthly and finally, verse 25, I have known you and they have known that you sent me. Six times, over and over and over again, the Father's love for the Son compels the Father to send the Son so that the Son might bring you and me into the love of the Father. You know the word mission, the word mission, it comes from the Latin word missio, to send. A missionary, quite literally, is one who is sent. Well, can you see? Jesus, God's Son, is the true missionary who was sent all the way from heaven to earth. Let me ask, how far would you go to save someone? What distance would you travel to rescue them in love? I love Philippians 2, that classic passage. But in Philippians 2, we see the distance, the gulf that the Father sent the Son to cross to save sinners like us. Hear it again. Jesus, who existing in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, He emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come, when he was sent, when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. You know, whenever I think of the cross, I often only think of what Jesus took up. He took up my sin. He took up my condemnation. He took up my judgment and my shame. But I don't often think about what Jesus gave up. An eternity of love with the Father and the Spirit. An experience of love so pure, so perfect. A love so amazing. A love so divine. That's crazy to think about, isn't it? I mean, like, let me level with you, right? If it were me, if it were me, I can promise you, I would never leave it for anyone, let alone someone who did not love me. If I were Jesus, and there's a thought, I would not leave that perfect love to save you. And I suspect you wouldn't leave it to save me either. And yet that's exactly what Jesus did. That perfect love is exactly what Jesus gave up so that he might then take up all our sin, all our condemnation, all our judgment and all our shame. It's one of those moments, right, where you go, thank God Jesus is not like us. 
Thank God that the Son does not love like us. The Son loved us so much that he gave up the experience of the Father's love so that you and I might be included in that very love. Let's be honest. Would you do that? I know you guys aren't indicating, but I know, like all of us, none of us would do it. But he did. We need to see the cross in light of the Trinity. Because the Trinity shows us not just what Jesus took up, it shows us what Jesus gave up. You see, on the cross, Jesus did not experience the wrath of just some God, of just any God. No, he experienced the wrath, the anger, the judgment of the Father who loved him from eternity past. He did not simply experience the abandonment of just any spirit. No, he experienced the abandonment of the spirit who sealed his love forever. Jesus experienced the ultimate loss of love so that you and I might receive that ultimate love. If you're not a Christian, let me ask you, what is the furthest distance someone has ever gone to love you? However far they may have traveled, I can promise you that it cannot compare with the distance that Jesus came to save you. He left the heights of heaven. He descended to earth and under the earth to bring you into his love. Man, I can't conceive. I just can't even think of a love as great as that. A love that seeks us out however far we have wandered, however far we have fallen. Fellow Christian, we so often we think that mission is what we do for God. But first and foremost, mission is what God has done for us. The Father sent his Son to bring us into his love. Jesus is the first and true missionary who was motivated and sent by a love so pure and a love so perfect. He was motivated. He was driven by a love turned outward. Jesus is the God of mission. Point number two, a people on mission. A people on mission. A number of years ago, when we launched this church, or were thinking about launching the church, I remember a few pastors from some other churches were lamenting to me that various, they said various ethnic groups in Melbourne were not coming to their churches. So they asked me, and I'm like, where are the Asians and the Africans and the Indians and all these other groups? Why aren't they coming to us? It's not a bad question, though I thought to myself, well, why aren't we going to them? It's funny, isn't it? The desire to reach other tribes is all good and well, but the deeper question is not do we want them, the question is are we willing to go to them? Are we willing to be like our missionary God? Are we willing to be compelled by a love turned outward? Are we willing, just like the Father, to send those we most love to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? I remember some of you were in this room in our launch team. There were, what, I think about, initially 16 of us got to about 24. And in one of those weeks, I remember telling some of you, in a few years' time, I can't wait to kick some of you out of church for all the best reasons. Get out! Go away! And take the gospel 
to people who need it. Are we willing, just like the sun, to go, however far, however wide, to save the people in need of love? The missionary God has saved us, and now the missionary God sends us as a missionary people. So will you send? And will you go? I love our church. I haven't seen you guys in so long. It's quite strange, actually, to see your faces here at a distance behind a mask, but there's this genuine love there. You know, it's a great risk for our church, actually, and our church in particular, I think, to love each other with a love turned inward. You know, that very phenomenon of that man and the woman in a self-indulgent love, I think that can really easily play out in our church as well. You know, I thank God that in our church so many of us genuinely and deeply love one another. That's beyond doubt. I see so many examples of it all the time, and every time I praise God for it. I suspect, though, it helps that many of us get along by force of personality. We share the same interests. We naturally enjoy each other's company, and that's not a bad thing. Praise God for it. But it does put us at risk of only loving people who are just like us, whatever that may mean. We can slowly and subtly slide into a mindset that church exists not for God's mission, but for our comfort. And before we know it, our love can ever so easily turn in on ourselves. Oh, there's no doubt we love each other but we love each other with a love turned inward. Friends, it's a dangerous trap. The greatest threat to mission is comfort. It is the love turned inward. But as we look at the God of mission, we see something, don't we? That true love is a missionary love. True love is a love that looks outward. True love is a love that sacrifices comfort. I mean, think about it, right? The cross of Christ, the ultimate demonstration of love. I suspect it wasn't very comfortable. In fact, I suspect it was rather uncomfortable. But that is the love with which God has loved us. And if we have been loved with a love turned outwards, how then can we now love with a love turned inwards? It's self-indulgence, isn't it? The love which sent the Son to us must be the love which now sends us to the world. In John 17, 18, Jesus prays, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. In chapter 20, he says to his disciples, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. The missionary God sends a missionary people You and I, we carry on God's mission in the world. Just as the Father sent the Son into the world, the Son now sends us into the world to extend that saving love. And the Spirit who empowered the Son, He now empowers you and me for that very same mission. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be a people on mission. 
It means to be a people sent by the Son in the power of the Spirit. Friends, have you realized that the Christian life is a life of constant movement? It's a life of constant movement. We're always on the move. Right throughout the Bible, the people of God are described as exiles and pilgrims, not settlers. In the beginning, God calls Adam and Eve to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Expand Eden as the kingdom of God. Then in Acts chapter 1, Jesus calls his disciples to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In expanding concentric circles, Jesus is sending us out to take the gospel to every tribe. The Christian life is a life of constant movement. We are a people always on mission. We are a people who are always being sent. And there's something deeply wrong about us resisting that mission. There's something deeply wrong when we refuse to be sent. Just think about the Tower of Babel in Genesis uh, 11. When the people build that tower, let me ask, what do you think is their great sin? What's their great sin? We all think it's just building a tower and it's their rebellion shaking their fist against the God of heaven. That's true. But it's more than that. It's their refusal to be sent. It's their refusal to be sent. Verse 2 of Genesis 11. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and they settled there. Verse 4, let us make a name for ourselves, they say, otherwise we will be scattered throughout the earth. So what was their great sin? Instead of being scattered, instead of being sent, they settled. In just two words... I think I can summarize the cultural narrative of the young, middle-class professional who lives in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. You want to know what it is? Two words. Here's our cultural narrative that we all live by. We saw it in Genesis 11. Settle down. Settle down. Isn't that the ambition of so many people in our city? Settle down with a well-paid job to settle down with a spouse and kids, to settle down in a double-story, three-bedroom house. You know, in our high school years, no, we studied hard. In our university years, we sought pleasure, but no, now. Those rowdy days are behind us. We're big boys now, and it's time to settle down. And even in our retirement, isn't that exactly what we want for our kids? Isn't that exactly what we want for ourselves? A life without hardship, a life without drama, a comfortable life, a quiet life. You can hear it, right? Some of your parents, I know they've said this to you. Why can't you just settle down? We want to settle down. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong about having a well-paid job and spouse and three kids and double-story three-bedroom house. But it's the heart behind it that counts, isn't it? Oh, Adam, I just want to settle down. It's worldly. It's just pagan. Some of you know, uh, I'm just, I'm currently renovating my kitchen. 
And so, you know, it's quite strange, right? If you ever go through the experience of home renos, suddenly so many of your conversations become about stone bench tops and tiled splashbacks. It drives you absolutely insane. Now, there are some people in this world who just love to talk endlessly about whether the ledge of your stone bench top is 40 millimeters or 60 millimeters. It's big difference, right? But let's be honest, who really cares, right? I mean, the cultural narrative that says settle down is filled with endless conversations about home decor, private school fees, and the latest brunch spot. It is totally unmoved by the sin of man, the salvation of Christ, and the mission of God. So I just think, I mean, let's face it, what a waste of a life. Just imagine standing before God on that last day, and he looks at you and says, what did you do with the life that I gave you? What do we say? I'll settle down. You kidding me? If I'm going to live that life, you know, just take me now. Just take, take me to glory now. If I'm going to settle down, settle me all the way down. Just settle me into the grave right now. The Father did not send his son to the cross so that I might settle down. No, he sent his son to the cross so that you and I might be sent out for his kingdom. God did not love us with a love turned outward for us only to live with a love turned inward. No, our lives, please, I'm begging you, don't live your life by the words, settle down. Live your life marked by the words, send out. Don't fall for Babel's sin. For the love of God, don't settle down. We are a missionary people, sent by a missionary God. And FYI, that's true of all of us, not just for those of us in full-time gospel ministry. God has not sent some of us. He has sent all of us. It's not just that I figure out that I'm a sender and you're a goer, so thank God for that. No, all of us are senders and all of us are goers because all of us are missionaries because all of us have been sent. Let me ask, how many of you have a plan to settle down? Now let me ask, how many of you have a plan to be sent out? If you're deciding what career to pursue, don't just look for opportunities for advancement. Look for opportunities for mission. If you're deciding who to date or marry, don't just look for someone who will settle you down. Look for someone who will send you out together. And if you're deciding on a church to commit to, ask yourself this question. Where can I most effectively be on mission? True love is a missionary love. It's a love turned outwards. It's a love that does not settle. It's a love that sends us out in sacrifice. Do you love as God has loved you? Will you be sent into the world as the Father sent his Son to you? Will your love of God fuel your mission of God? We are a missionary people, sent by a missionary God. Thirdly and finally, the goal of mission, the goal of mission. Well, every mission has its goal, doesn't it? Otherwise, it wouldn't be, well, a mission. Could be the invasion of a country, the toppling of a dictator, the rescuing of hostages, the destruction of a ring. But what exactly is our goal of mission? You know, it's easy to think that our goal is to just save people from hell. 
to rescue people from the judgment and the wrath of God. Now, on one level, that's entirely true. In fact, I actually think that too many Christians today downplay and even silence the reality of judgment. Now, it's true. Salvation from hell is a clear part of our goal. And yet the goal of our mission, it's so much greater than just that. If you've spent any time around church, you'll probably know the Great Commission verbatim by now, right? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But if I'm honest, for years of my life, I never really understood what the Great Commission meant when it said, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Until now. Until now. Because the Great Commission is shaped by the Trinity. The goal of our mission is to bring the nations into the inner life of God. It is to baptize and drench them in the love of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. It is to include them within that fellowship of eternal selfless love. It is to enfold them into the love that the Father has for the Son. It is to make the nations one with God forever. The Trinity is both the motivation and the goal of mission. What a big view of the gospel. What a big view of the gospel that promises something far more than just the escape from hell. No, this gospel promises entry into heaven itself. Heaven as a fellowship of pure and perfect love. A fellowship of a love turned outwards. Friends, our world is desperately in need of love, isn't it? But our world has no idea, no idea what true love is. Oh, we cling to some emotion or some endorphins and we call it love. It's just a distortion of the reality. We say, I love you, but we really mean, I need you. I own you, or I love you, but only if. No, the worldly definition of love is a love turned inward. It's a love that is self-centered, self-serving, self-seeking, and self-indulgent. Our world is desperately in need of love, but not just any love. It needs the pure and perfect love of God. And we see that love most fully on display as the Father sends His Son and His Spirit to save a fallen humanity. We see that love as God loves us with a love turned outward. If there is any verse, any verse that captures everything that we've been exploring over the last three weeks, surely it's got to be John 17, 23. So let me close with these words. Jesus prays, I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me. And Jesus loves you. The Father loves you, just as the Father loves his Son. What an amazing love. What an amazing God. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for sending your Son and your Spirit to save a fallen people. Send us out in the Spirit's power to proclaim the gospel of your Son 
in whose name we pray. Amen.